I get it. I completely get it. As a woman nears term, the readiness to just be done with the whole thing really rises up to the surface. I get it, especially if they live in this super hot environment like we do here in Texas. Right now, it's like 300 degrees outside, so I get that. Walking around with an extra child on your abdomen uh, and the extra discomforts of pregnancy, I get it. I'm all for getting out as soon as possible when it's safe, when it's medically indicated, and when the patient agrees. But some things are out there that are more myths than facts. So let me pose this question to you. Does walking in the late stages of pregnancy help induce labor? Now, we're going to get into a lot of issues here, okay? Because let me be very clear, I am a big fan of physical activity. Got to keep moving. I mean, we're all stagnant. We all have physical inactivity, hence the whole BMI issue that we kind of harped on for the last couple of episodes. So, yes, I'm a total fan of movement during pregnancy, as is the college. I support the college dance, and we should. Because they're right. ACOG's committee opinion number 804 basically says, hey, you're pregnant? Fantastic. Get up and get moving. Because there's a lot of advantages to that. But as one of the advantages of walking in the late third trimester, is one of the advantages the induction of labor? Does that make you go into labor? Because there's a lot of stuff on the internet and stuff that we've actually heard our patients say. And just yesterday in clinic, one of our brand new interns who, honestly, I'm super impressed with. All of our interns are really strong. Um, but anyway, I was talking to our one of our interns who said, well, doesn't walking help bring on labor? Well, does it? So we're going to get into that data because it's, it's, it's a little confusing, but it's not at the same time. And we're also going to touch on walking intrapartum. Does that help speed labor? The data there is a little confusing as well. And let me just say it right off the bat, I absolutely believe that any patient who desires should be mobile intrapartum. The benefits are huge. Pain control, you can help the baby descend a little bit, but so can just upright posture. And an old publication from my previous institution that I'm very proud of, it's UT Southwestern, Oh, <laughs> when I was still a resident, one of my attendings published something in the New England Journal that kind of popped the balloon on walking intrapartum, not in terms of, of, of known pain control and patient wellness. That's that's fine. But in terms of speeding labor, did it do it or not? I'm going to give you that data from Dr. Bloom in this episode. So I want to focus on, does walking bring on labor? I'm telling you, I feel for you. If you're in Texas and you're like 36, 37 weeks right now, God bless you. It is so hot in Texas right now. I mean, like demons won't even leave Hades to come to Texas because it's too hot here. You know what I'm saying? That may be a bad joke. But anyway, <laughs> I think it's funny. <laughs> Ooh, I said that once and they're like, oh, you shouldn't say that. Oh my gosh, it's a joke. Let's get into just walking induced labor next. Medicine moves real fast. We're here to help us all keep up the pace. This is Clinical Pearls. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I guess it was about a year ago that a patient asked me if curb walking could bring on labor. And and first I, I, I said, what? Uh, the what walking? And she said, you know, curb walking. I said, like walking on a sidewalk? And she said, well, kind of, but but it's walking like one foot on the street and one on the curb, uh, you know, like like kind of offset. That's called curb walking. And I said, curb walking? I, I've, I've, I've never heard of that. Now, this patient who you know, worked at the university, uh, who, you know, I don't want to give away anything, but anyway, she, she was one of the professors and so very educated. Uh, she was Caucasian and she said, yeah, you know, some people have called it the sea walk. And I said, oh, honey, no, th- that is not the sea walk. <laughs> You're about to witness the sea walk of this so I said, uh, no, look, I grew up on the, I grew up in the border of Texas and Mexico. I grew up with some homies uh, and some of my, some of my crazy Vato friends. I'm like, please don't say seawalk anywhere around the university. Okay. Cause seawalk means something very different uh, when you grow up in the hood. Okay. So seawalk is like an old gangster rap uh, walk that Ice Cube used to do. I mean, Snoop Dogg, that's, that's an old school. Please, please don't go to your department and say, I did the seawalk to induce labor. We both cracked up, cracked up. And of course, I had to play, <laughs> had to play her the, uh, the Ice Cube seawalk song. That's anyway. Wow. Yeah. Curb walking, though, is a separate thing. And no, there's no data for that. Plus, it's a great way to lose your balance uh, and get a little bit of OB trauma. But had you heard of this thing, curb walking, one foot on the sidewalk, one on the road? I'm like, oh, my goodness. I, who thought of that? Now, to be honest, the theory of that is pretty darn good, right? I mean, you kind of offset your pelvis uh, and, and you ambulate, kind of, you know, move the baby down. But the baby's not a coconut that you try to shake down from a tree. Now, let me be very clear. I'm all for walking. I'm just not for kind of hokey stuff that may not work. Because for that point, lunges are also a great idea and you stay stable on the ground. Uh, squats are a great idea because it helps bring the baby down. I'm all for that. Plus, it helps with physical conditioning. But know why you're doing it. I do recommend ambulation. I do recommend lunges if the patient wants to and they're physically fit. I do recommend the squatting during late pregnancy because I do feel that that has a role to help bring the baby down. But bringing the baby down and induction of labor are two different things. The induction of labor is so complicated, both from the hypothalamic pituitary release of oxytocin and pitocin responsiveness to the malmetrium and calcium influx and prostaglandin and hyaluronic matrix changes and cervical softening. There's so many, so many things to that that, oh my goodness, sometimes we even give hours of pitocin and nothing happens. So, so let me be very clear. I'm all for walking. Uh, 
But but we also at some point have to draw the line and be evidence-based and say, yes, there's huge advantages to walking in pregnancy, absolutely. But induction of labor is very hard to, to piece out. And there's no evidence that curb walking or sea walking uh, or any kind, any other specific kind of walking will specifically induce labor. Now, there is some weird data out there I'm going to get into in a minute. But when you really take a look at it and, and make it a good scientific, structured and controlled uh, study, it's just not there. Ah, I'm sorry. Now I've got keep a gangster y'all stuck in my head. <laughs> I just, the sea walk, I mean, she's just seen this poorly. I mean, she had her little Gucci or whatever, bluey bag, one of those fancy bags. You know, she's very nice, very, you know, very kept. She said, yeah, I did the sea walk. Oh, my gosh, I just couldn't take it anymore. I just cracked up the sea walk. All right. But it is interesting that walking by far, if you take a look at patient surveys, right, I'm going to give you a link here in a minute and a reference. Repetitively, when women are asked, remember, not medical, just literally community surveys of what do you think puts you into labor? Uh, it's like spicy foods. No, spicy foods give you heartburn, doesn't give you labor. Uh, and two is like, oh, walking. One and two is between spicy foods and walking. And this is this is repetitively. So you're thinking, well, there's got to be something to that, right? No, just because a lot of people answer incorrectly doesn't make it right. It's just either coincidence or there's something that as they were walking, labor spontaneously happened. So I'm not above saying that there's a possibility that labor could do that, that walking could induce labor. We just haven't seen it in any data yet. Because once again, the true onset of labor, the physiological priming of the uterus and 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 all of the, the pituitary changes that happen with the secretion of oxytocin is so, so complex. But sure enough, if you take a look at a published study um, in the journal Birth back in 2011, walking seemed to be the top way that women try to induce labor. Okay, so this came out of the journal Birth in June of 2011. Uh, and the title was Women's Use of Non-Prescribed Methods to Induce Labor, a Brief Report. Now, it didn't, I'm not saying that it worked. I'm just saying this is exactly what women said they tried to do to help them go into labor. So the top three, of course, are, as you guessed, or you think you guess, is walking, um, sex, and then spicy food. And it depends on who you read, but nonetheless, those those are the top three. So one can kind of vie for attention than the other. In some cases, sex is last. In others, it's first. In other reports, it's the second one. But the top three ways that women try to induce labor are walking, spicy foods, uh, and, and intercourse, okay? These surveys of women who went into labor are, are actually pretty helpful because it gives you insight to uh, perceptions and belief systems, and that helps us relate to patients. I have, I have no problem with that. And it's not even just 2011. There's another study in the Journal of Perinatal Education in 2014 that found almost the exact same thing. I mean, women were asked, hey, what do you think put you into labor? Okay, these are women that went into labor obviously by themselves, uh, didn't get induced. Now, whether or not they had an augmentation of labor or something else, this is just, what do you think put you into labor? And in this study from 2014, researchers interviewed 663 women after they had gone into spontaneous labor, again, without some kind of induction. And 30% of those, so basically one-third said, oh, walking did the trick. It sure did. 
Well, it did it, but it's impossible to know whether walking truly had an effect or whether these women just happened to be walking when they went into labor. Again, I want to be very clear and evidence-based. As of right now, there's no structured uh, 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 concrete data and research. There's no trial that has suggested that walking alone actually increases the chances of going into spontaneous labor. There is one study, because I know you're going to find it, and you're going to send me a message, so I'm going to tell you about it, that said ah, walking increases their bishop score. Did it? How do you stratify for that? And how do you rule out the most likely thing that increases bishop score, which is time? So again, I, I'm all for walking. I'm just doing it for the right reason, which is overall health, wellness, being in physical condition, that speeds labor. But if you're in terrible, just physical condition, you've never walked a day in your pregnancy, and then you go into labor and you're like, I'm going to start walking intrapartum. I don't think that's going to help. It's too late. I'm, you've got to be physically conditioned. Labor is a marathon. It's hard. And you need hydration. And you need sugar substrate. That's why it's okay to give D5 intrapartum. Have a little bit of juice, non-pulp juice. Your, your muscles in the uterus need substrate. I, I, I hated that for a long time. We kept women NPO with nothing. And we made them run a marathon. That's terrible. I think I have a podcast. I do have a podcast, which is... Um, PO in labor, yes, or something like that. I mean, the idea is as long as they're not eating steak, okay, or fried chicken when they're eight centimeters, uh, they can eat. Uh, once you hit active labor, you, your your appetite obviously decreases because your your cortisol is high, your adrenaline is high, and that shuts off your your appetite. But if you're one to two centimeters, oh my goodness, have some have some juice, have some sugar, uh, have something that has low residue because you, you've got to be hydrated and have caloric intake to prepare you for the marathon. What was I going with this? Oh, anyway, it's amazing what we relate and what we believe will put you into labor, okay? So yeah, spicy foods don't do it. Sex, now, sex is a little tricky because prostaglandin release into the vagina, either through semen or by natural uh, oxytocin release with a female orgasm, can make you contract. But the contractions may not be enough to put you in labor if your body's not ready, okay? So sex is a whole different issue. Maybe we can do in the sex-induced labor later because sex absolutely will make you contract. It's not even sex. It's, it's orgasm and or prostaglandin deposition in the vagina. De of course, I'm talking about semen. Um, but even without semen, just female orgasm will make you contract. But, but contractions that are disorganized are different than going putting you into straight labor. You'll only go into labor with sex if your body is primed, if you're sitting at the threshold, and that can push you over. But it's not going to get you on the road if you're not even on the highway, okay? So th that's why these studies are so confusing because if, if, if a body is primed for labor, walking, sure, maybe can help because if your bishop score is like six, okay, and you go for a three-mile walk, Maybe it's going to help. Do you see what I mean? See how complicated this is. But if you are at 37 weeks and somebody's cervix is close, thick, and high, uh, walking three miles is just going to get you tired. It's probably not going to induce labor unless your body is ready. So that's the big clinical pearl. What induces labor naturally? 
The answer is your body. <laughs> when it's right, when the light switch is flipped up. So that's why walking as of right now, it's very hard to say this one factor equals labor because there's a whole list of things behind the screen that, uh, that have to happen. And then somebody walks and then they just kind of go through, through the curtain. Does that make sense? So does walking induce labor? As of right now, there's no data of that. But I'll be very clear as we're talking about maternal position changes intrapartum because we've got a whole other podcast on that, which is lessons learned from midwifery. And I absolutely agree that no one should labor on their back. That sucks. Okay, it's, it's just not comfortable unless the woman wants to or has a very dense epidural. But being upright intrapartum is so much better. Something called the flexible sacrum positions that we covered in lessons learned from midwifery. That is a thing to try to help the baby descend. And if a patient wants to walk intrapartum, having that freedom of mobility has in, in study after study on women's happiness uh, and contentment with the labor process, they've always rated it higher when they were able to ambulate. But it's not necessarily because it's going to speed labor. It's because it's a great pain management tool that's non-pharmacological. Uh, I mean, what do you have to do? Think about it. If you have to go pee really bad, all right, you really have to go. I mean, you Got, you've got to go. What does your body do? Do you just sit there like, hmm, I really got to pee? And you start doing the pee dance, right? That's that, that's that body response to pain and discomfort, which moving ambulation uh, helps with. It, it does release some, some endorphins. So I'm all for movement intrapartum. But does it speed labor? It's very, very hard to, to tease that out. And there's data back from the 1990s from my old attending, uh, Dr. Stephen Bloom, MFM physician out of, out of Parkland at that time. Uh, by the way, Dr. Bloom is just so awesome. He's great. Um, and he published this, uh, one of the largest studies that looked at did walking speed labor. And I'm going to get into that in a minute. Uh, very well-controlled study in the New England Journal of Medicine. A little disappointing results. But there are some studies that go up. She walked and her labor was faster. How do you know that that was walking by itself? How do you know it just wasn't quick cervical change? So to be very clear and, and stop going circular, yes, I'm all for setting up intrapartum. I'm all for flexible sacrum positions. If you don't know what that is, I'm not going to go over that. You got to go back to the previous episode that lessons learned from midwifery. Those things have a role. And if the patient wants to walk, let them walk intrapartum. That should be a patient preference, not necessarily a medical tool to speed labor. Before I get into Dr. Bloom's uh, publication about walking and helping the speed of labor intrapartum, there's a nice publication in the Journal of Perinatal Education in 2014, the title of which is Healthy Birth Practice Number 2, and it's Walk, Move Around, and Change Positions Throughout Labor. That's the title, okay? And of course, I'll put the link in our reference list. But this is a nice review of, of, of why women should be allowed to have intrapartum mobility if they desire it and it's safe. Okay, so obviously they're on dense mag or a dense epidural. Wait, I just said dense mag. What the heck is dense mag? I, I, I guess like if they just got a six gram load. <laughs> what I was trying to say, if they are heavily sedated on mag, mag is a muscle relaxant, right? Sometimes their legs get goofy, so you just want to keep them safe. That's the take-home message. If they can ambulate, their epidural isn't too deep, and there's no restriction on their mobility because we want to keep a patient safe. That's number one. Then moving around intrapartum has huge benefits, all right? We've already talked about that, but this healthy practice number two from the Journal of Perinatal Education 
election from 2014 basically goes into what we're covering here, which is, hey, you leave it up to the patient. There's definitely benefits uh, rather than lying on your back. That's the least helpful. Uh, but it's not just about walking. There's something magical about walking. It's likely being upright. Being upright intrapartum can help, can work in conjunction with either spontaneous or induced contractions to bring that baby down into the pelvis, right? Remember, we talked about that flexible sacrum position. So uh, I'll, po- I'll post that reference. It's really nice. It is a little lengthy, but it goes through a lot of data. And we use some of this data during those lessons learned from midwifery episode uh, in the past. Now, I did say that there was some evidence out there that walking could potentially speed labor, right? I told you. So in fair balance, I'm going to give you this publication. This was in 2021 in the Journal of Educational Health Promotion. Okay, educational health promotion. And the title is The Effect of Walking During Late Pregnancy on the Outcome of Labor and Delivery. And it is an RCT. This publication was a randomized clinical trial on 102 pregnant women who were referred to the Comprehensive Health Service Center of Rafsashan. Okay, I'm, I don't know where. This was an RCT on 102 pregnant women that took place between 2018 and 2019. So there was an intervention group and then the control. The intervention group performed walking from the 34th week of pregnancy until the time of delivery, and that happened four times per week, each time for 40 minutes. The control group just received the routine prenatal care, right? So one said, hey, I want you to go out there and walk for... uh, uh, three times a week, 40 minutes at a time, starting at 34 weeks onward. And the other didn't really get that coaching, just had regular prenatal care, okay? Well, what they found was, ah, those that walked had more uh, favorable bishop scores than the control. I'm like, all right, that's fantastic. Now, now hold on a minute. There was no statistically significant difference between both groups regarding the duration of the first or second stage of labor, so there was no intrapartum benefit, which is kind of weird because most of the other studies, including what ACOG says, is, hey, if you stay physically fit intrapartum, you can potentially have a healthier labor. And it's not that walking itself speeds labor. It's that being physically fit, being conditioned so that you can run the marathon better, that helps you with labor. Does that make sense? So again, if you've never walked a day in your whole pregnancy and you now go into labor and you want to start walking, that's likely not going to do anything. So this is the one weird thing that this one said, hey, those women who are assigned to walk, uh, no real difference in, in intrapartum labor course. Okay, well, that kind of sucks. Other studies say that it does uh, help prepare your body for, for shorter labors. But not intrapartum, that's, that's a preparatory thing for labor itself. But the second criticism with this, which is a little weird, is uh, how did you guarantee that those women did walk? I mean, they weren't observed. It's not like they went to the clinic on a track uh, and, then, and then watched them do it three times a week for 40 minutes. That would be a good study right? And they're observed. I observed them doing, I know that they did that. And so that's one of the criticisms of this is uh, how do you know that, that one, there was adherence and two, more importantly, um, isn't that observer bias? Well, your, your bishop score was better, but you knew that which group was walking. So there's a little bit of issues here, but in, in true disclosure, because it is an RCT, even though the total group was 102, and there are those methodological issues here with this study. 
um, it's unclear how much that walking actually contributed to their more favorable bishop score. Remember, I've said in previous episodes that words mean something in publications, okay? How they say something. So when they say consider, that means just consider. Think about it. When they say recommend, that means data is strong. You should do it, okay? Without telling you, you should do it. Does that make sense? So consider or recommend or do not recommend, those are strong words. Well, in in this publication, this RCT, the authors use a word here that, that can't be overlooked. So here's, let me read you their conclusion straight from the, from the manuscript. Quote, walking during late pregnancy could improve bishop score, increase spontaneous onset of labor, and decrease inductions. So that's the key thing. You notice that? See, that's a subtle thing that when, if you're not scientific or part of academic medicine, uh, you're like, oh, that's just semantics. It just said could. That doesn't mean anything. No, it totally does. Because if they said walking during late pregnancy does improve bishop score, that's a stronger word. You all get that. And so, again, we used to do a lot of peer review work. I still do a little bit, but it just takes forever, and I don't want to do it anymore. But we used to do peer review for a couple of journals. Uh, and it's kind of thankless. I mean, ugh, it's, you know, yeah, you want to do it. I did that because I, I wanted to contribute. And I encourage you, definitely, if you're a midwife, look at the Journal of, of Clinical Midwifery or your society's uh, journal and volunteer to peer review. You learn so much. Um, and I think it makes you just a better uh, a reviewer to, to read something critically. So like if they had put in that in that conclusion, walking during late pregnancy does improve bishop score, I, you know, that would have been a whoa, wait a minute, man, you can't say that. that you don't have that strength of the data to say that you need to change that to could. All right. Or as my wife says, uh, she might could. Okay. Yeah. I don't, she's, Lisa says it all the time. Hey, do you think we could go to dinner? We might could. She has two masters. All right, masters of social work and masters of healthcare administration, and I get out of her. Yeah, we might could. I'm like, okay. Oh boy, she's gonna kill me. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Let's get to Dr. Bloom's publication. So this was done with Dr. Bloom, Dr. McIntyre, uh, and Dr. Levino. Man, you know what's so great? I... Man, Dr. Levino, um, uh, he was just a great, great physician. I'm just, wow. What, what, the, all of these people in this publication, I look back, I'm like, ah, oh, I remember all those names. It's so cool because this happened when I was a resident, uh, again, of the New England Journal of Medicine. Uh, and the title is Lack of Effect of Walking on Labor and Delivery. I mean, see, I, I don't like when they just spoil everything right there, right? I mean, if you just read the title, Lack of Effect of Walking on Labor and Delivery. Now, why do I need to read the paper? 
I mean, just get, leave a little bit to the imagination. Maybe what is the effect of walking on labor and delivery? Or does walking affect labor and delivery? But no, lack of effect of walking on labor and delivery. Well, there it is. Anyway, this was a publication that was really well done. It was an RCT of walking during active labor. Now, remember, active labor at this time is still four centimeters. So go with it. Okay, not the six centimeters that we're using now because it followed the old Friedman's curve. But these were women that were randomized at active labor. The short of it is. Uh, you get up and, and walk around if you want to. And then uh, this group, standard uh, kind of care, which was a lying down recumbent, okay? 536 women, 536 went into the walking group uh, and 380 of those actually did walk, right? That's why I said you were randomized, so you have permission to get up and walk. We're not going to force you, right? It's not like you psh, psh, get up and walk. Uh, so out of that 536, 380 actually walked. Um, and then the rest of the cohort um, was obviously the non-walking group. Now, the entire group of women randomized was 1,067, okay, 1067. So you get up and walk or you stay in bed. That's the short of it. Now, what they actually found was pretty sad. Now, it still makes the case, and as Dr. Bloom said in several commentaries after this, if a woman wants to get up and walk, go ahead. But it's kind of a null effect. It definitely didn't hurt. But it definitely didn't necessarily help either. And here's the catch and here's why. As we've already said, one thing that they didn't look at here is, hey, what was their physical conditioning before? So if you've never walked, again, as I've already said it, if you've never walked a day in the pregnancy, being randomized to walk intrapartum is not going to help you because it's too late. That's a good option for pain control, but walking intrapartum in this group had no effect on labor, all right? So as Dr. Bloom et al. stated, quote, these labor and delivery outcomes were unrelated to walking in both NOLA Paris and Paris women. The percentage of women requiring delivery by forceps and cesarean section were absolutely the same, and there was no significant difference between the women assigned to the walking group and those assigned to the usual care group in the duration of the first stage of labor, the need for labor augmentation with oxytocin, or the use of analgesia. Okay, now I know what you're saying. Well, you just said it's a good pain control issue. Yes, it absolutely is. It's a great non-pharmacological pain control issue. But it doesn't mean that you're going to restrict somebody. Oh, you're walking. You can't get statol or morphine or, or fentanyl. No, it's an adjuvant. Okay. Now for some women, walking is pain relief enough, but for others, they can get whatever they want to. So this was a null effect. It definitely did not hurt. There was zero adverse effects from walking intrapartum. But there was no real benefits. And one of the main issues here, again, is that you can't just pick up and start walking intrapartum. Like, I'm going to start training for my marathon when I'm at the starting line. That's when I'm going to do it. I'm going to get serious and I'm going to start training when I'm on the line. It's too late. You should have trained before. Does that make sense? I did find a commentary that Dr. Bloom did after this was published, which just said exactly what we've just mentioned. He's like, hey, look, if a woman wants to walk, you shouldn't restrict her. Don't keep her just flat in the bed. She's not a prisoner. Get up, walk around, do something. Uh, sometimes our, that was Dallas County. Sometimes we did have 
prisoners in labor. But nonetheless, the point is, you know what I'm saying. You can get up. They can walk if they want to. And it's an adjuvant for pain control. Let them do it. Um, But the idea that it's somehow going to speed labor by itself, this data, according to this well-controlled RCT, just, just didn't show that. As we get ready to end this episode, a a quick word about ACOG's committee opinion, which is number 804, all right? That's physical activity and exercise during pregnancy in the postpartum period. This came out April 2020. Uh, And and I love what's in the the PDF, in in the manuscript, in the publication, because it says benefits of exercise in pregnancy. Notice, in pregnancy, we're talking about antepartum, okay? That's the time to begin. And it says higher incidence of vaginal delivery. There you go. If you're primed, if your body has has some a little bit of conditioning, you're going to run the race better. And it says lower incidences of lower incidence of excessive gestational weight gain, gestational diabetes, lower gestational hypertension, uh, lower uh, preterm birth, lower cesarean birth, and uh, lower rates of low birth weight. Okay, those those are all benefits, but nowhere in box two benefits of exercise in pregnancy, which includes walking, does it say less need for labor induction? Did y'all get that? So I want to I want to leave this as one of the last take home messages out of the college under, under the benefits of exercise. It does not say increase the speed that labor will come on. It doesn't say that. Okay. Also remember that this is the whole reason, and think about this in reverse. Why do we take away bed rest in pregnancy? Well, we took away bed rest because bed rest is horrible. It deconditions you. It increases Virchow's triad because that's all we need you when you're hypercoagulable uh, and have these microangiopathic changes because of pregnancies to be immobile, right? So we took away bed rest because it, it deconditioned, it increased thrombosis risk. And more importantly, bed rest, here it is, did not prevent... Uh, preterm birth. Do y'all get that? So if if bed rest did not prevent preterm birth because preterm birth is very complicated, whether subacute infection, early priming of the pitocin, myometrial uh, signaling and receptor connection, whatever. It, did y'all get that? That if walking somehow triggered labor, then then bed rest would have prevented preterm labor and those at risk because that's what was done in the past, right? Historically, oh, you're at risk of preterm birth, you're at bed rest now, you're confined. Uh, No, it, it didn't work. So think about that in reverse. If walking caused labor, then bed rest would prevent it. But the whole reason we don't do bed rest for the prevention of preterm birth is because it doesn't prevent preterm labor. Does that make sense? It made sense in my head. I hope it made sense coming out of my mouth. Um, so, um, the reason I'm saying that is because someone is shaking their head. I mean, it makes sense. Bed rest doesn't work. It doesn't pre- prevent you from going into preterm labor because walking doesn't put you in labor. All right, let's get ready to wrap this up. As we close, I do have to say I am, I don't want to get any heat for this. I'm absolutely a fan of exercise antepartum, as we've already mentioned. I'm a fan of mobilization and moving around and ambulation intrapartum when it's appropriate and safe. But that's more for patient comfort. That's more for patient experience. Because lying on your back is terrible and is probably the least anatomically correct and physiological for the process of labor. But it's not just walking, just being upright, squatting in a squatty uh, uh, bar, using the ball. We've talked about the peanut ball and, and the exercise ball, rocking on that to help descend. That's the trick. Being upright. There's no inherent magic just in walking in and of itself. 
All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. We have covered walking and pregnancy and its relationship or lack of relationship to labor onset. Curb walking, my goodness, what a thing. Wouldn't that just look so strange, right? You got this third trimester, 38, 39 week pregnant woman walking down the street, one foot on the curb, uh, and then one on the street. You're like, what the heck is happening? Again, just be safe, please. And rather than risking ankle sprains and falling, just do lunges for heaven's sakes. Do squats because there's nothing magical about walking. It's probably the upright positioning uh, and an opening of the pelvis that matters. And you don't have to do the sea walk to do it. All right, podcast family, as always, we're thankful for you. We're glad that you're part of our podcast community and we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.